Welcome to this week's weekly Yes And podcast. I'm your host, Travis Thomas, the host of The Yap and the creator of Live Yes And. You can follow me on social media at Live Yes And, as well as my website, liveyesand.com. And so great to have you joining us today for episode 35. I'm actually doing this from Miami Beach. Right now, I'm looking out the window and there's a parasailer going up right now. Uh, so not often that I can that I can uh, do my podcast from such a beautiful destination, but we are just finishing up the three-day World Blue Summit based on the power question, what would you do if you weren't afraid? And uh, a super amazing conference. Actually, my guest today is Matt Matheson, and Matt and I, Matt's from the UK, uh, he's also an improviser, and he and I uh, co-hosted a number of little interactive sessions throughout the event, uh, had an amazing time. We had speakers like uh, Arun Gandhi, that is Mahatma Gandhi's uh, grandson, Justin Dillon, who has an organization that is trying to stop all of the labor slavery in the world, which at this time did not realize this, that there are 30 million people that are in slavery in one capacity or another, which is the largest in the history of our existence. So, uh, And he has a super inspiring message about how we can actually start to combat that. We also had Sam Sheltain talking about education and the future of education, uh, which is always very inspiring. Tracy Fenton, who is the head of World Blue, worked everyone through the Freedom at Work, the Power Question, What Would You Do If You Weren't Afraid workbook. And the list of speakers just went on and uh, just very inspiring, very humbling. And so uh, Matt and I are going to talk about our two worlds of improvisation, how he got into improv and how he's now serving the corporate world, uh, my background in improvisation, how I've weaved it into the corporate world, and the two of us together coming together. This is the second year that we've done this. We've been able to model uh, what collaboration and a yes and mindset is all about. We were basically just conversing over Skype for months leading up to this and uh, just really working off of each other's ideas. And then at the actual conference, just really collaborating on the spot. And Matt is a fantastic guy. We are going to talk about in this podcast, the Church of Fail, which he created, how he got into improvisation, and the impacts that he sees in uh, the corporate environment. He has his own consulting group now called Improvise Change, and uh, he's just such a treat to listen to, so deep, so thoughtful, and just a lot of fun. So let's get into that interview now. Just a quick reminder that, again, my book, Three Words for Getting Unstuck, Live Yes And, is now available on Amazon Kindle for pre-order. It comes out on June 1st. But go ahead, pre-order that version, and uh, hopefully you'll understand what Living Yes And is all about, and maybe you'll want to share it with others. So that's that. Let's get into it. Let's talk some improvisation with Matt Matheson from Improvising Change. And welcome everyone to this week's weekly Yap, the Yes And podcast. Uh, this is Travis here in beautiful Miami Beach here, South Beach actually to be exact, and uh, living kind of the life of luxury here for the last few days, which is, uh, which is rare. But uh, I'll, I'll take it, and I'm so excited and and honored to be sitting next to my uh, my English partner in crime here, Matt Matheson. And for the second year in a row, Matt and I collaborated on a few sessions here at the World Blue Summit 
here in Miami Beach. And uh, uh, it's just been a, a fantastic time, a fantastic relationship. And uh, I, I'm speaking personally, uh, I think you and I have modeled what it means to sort of live yes and and collaborate considering we are separated from a giant ocean in putting our sessions together. <laughs> Yet when we get on stage, people can't believe that we haven't known each other or been working with each other for years. But I want to welcome Matt to uh, the Weekly App. Cool. Um, thanks for having me. I, I can only echo what you say. It's been fantastic working with you. And um, I don't know, all we have to do is look at some of the quite comical tweets that are appearing on Twitter <laughs> about our, uh, our work together to see that we really have been working together in that way. I think um, some people were coining it a blossoming bromance. It was, yes. Yeah, yes. yeah, which um, I think is a fun way of just saying that Hey man, it works. It does. It you does. Know. And we've been told that we need to take our show on the road a few times. Yes, we have. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, the, the 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 Matt and Travis show. I yes. think that that, that yes. is something that needs to happen. And just to clarify, we'll we'll take it on the road. We'll take it on the boat. Absolutely. We'll take I it mean, to the air. Virgin Galactic. Yes. Mate. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Take it to the moon. There's been a drone flying back and forth on the beach. This that, morning. Oh, I haven't seen that. Yeah. This yeah. We'll take it to the drone. We can have a band on the back. Of we the could. Drone. Matt and Travis. Matt and Travis yeah. Dot com. Fantastic. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about. And actually, first of all, Matt. So you, uh, I, just like uh, everyone, I have uh, Live Yes and is sort of my brand and, and my company. Matt, your company is Improvising for Change. Improvising Change, just, impro- yeah. Improvising Change, yeah. and, and sort of what is your mission or, and, and vision for that? Absolutely. My mission and vision through Improvising Change is to help people get excited about life and work. Um, my, my thing is motivation. Like, I love seeing people come out of their kind of, like, standard mindset, if you like, and kind of have those light bulb moments where they realize that there's a different way of doing things that's kind of open and fair and authentic um, and that, that that's my mission with improvising change and it's 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 workshops and it's coaching but the design principle is always improvisation um, and that's that's what excites me that's what I love so tell everyone what was your inlet into the world of improvisation how'd that come about oh my inlet into the world of improvisation I remember it vividly as as I know you do with your story yes. as well and I think Every improviser I know remembers their first day. So my half-sister, Jo, um, sent me a message one day um, saying, hey, Matt, I've, I've done some comedy course thing and there's an end-of-course end of showcase happening. Um, you know, I'd love for you to come and support me. And I kind of went, went on down and uh, sat in this uh, little theatre and, and saw this, this group of um, incredibly brave and you know, in, inexperienced people to this world step on and just have a blast. Yeah. You know, and kind of like create stuff in the moment. And this was their first course and their first foray on stage, and it was great. And I was like, do you know what? I want to do that. I really want to do that. And this was my first exposure to improvisational comedy. I'd seen it on like Whose Line Is It Anyway, but I'd never. Um, kind of like consciously thought of it as something that I could approach or do it with sure. just a TV show. Yeah. And um, I said to myself, right, I'm going to sign up for a beginner's course because in Brighton we have um, we have the Maydays who are one of the UK's kind of like premier troops, particularly for training and stuff mm-hmm. like that, and they run loads of courses. And I didn't make it onto the next one, but then I made it onto the next one and literally from that point onwards... It transformed my life. I met my wife on my beginners on that beginners oh, course. Oh, that's fantastic! It's it's it, it came straight into my work. I followed. It, yeah, that was my foray. Spotting. Thank you to my sister. 
for inviting me <laughs> because my life has changed since that first show that I saw. So what was it? What was it for you? What was the spark? What was the inspiration that really grabbed you in that experience? I've always been someone who um, believes in conversation and collaboration and fairness. Um, and I saw that come out in the behaviours that are on stage. And as I read more about it, I realised that those were the behaviours that improvisers train themselves in. Mm. It's like, you know, fairness and equality and acceptance um, and everybody having a voice. And let's not kind of like hide the fact that I'm a massive extrovert as well, you know, <laughs> and I, 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 I love this. I love performing. I'm a bit of a performer. I'm, I'm, I'm a blabbermouth, I've, I've been told, you know. So I also gave me I've one. Nev- I've never gotten never that got feedback. That? No, no I, okay. I've never been told in a job interview that you like to talk. That's never happened to me. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so to have an opportunity to kind of like consciously practice something that I believed in whilst also just having loads of fun and kind of being able to flex that performer side of me, um, just that, that was it. That's what got me initially. And so at the time, you were working professionally in what capacity? Yeah, I was working as um, a consultant for a company called Nixon McInnes. Actually, at the time, I was working as a project manager. So this is going back about eight years now. Um, and in, in my role in this company, and they're a well blue democratic certified company my role was kind of like part project manager and part consultant um yeah great great company that like really gave we had lots of autonomy there so we were able to design our services and the way in which we did yeah. work um in, in in whatever way we see fit to ensure that we just deliver an amazing job for our clients um and very quickly i kind of saw the marriage between what i was doing in my improv classes and the work I was doing with clients at, at Nixon McInnes. Um, and then started weaving the two together, like very simply to start off with, just like, oh, maybe we could do a yes and before a brainstorm, or, yeah. or maybe we could just do an energizer after lunch before a meeting, you know, just little ways right. of kind of like peppering existing services with improv games. It's interesting because I think you and I are both in the rare situation that as you and I, and obviously at different times, as we were introduced to improvisation, we were actually, because it sounds like, because I know you were working for a, a freedom-centered organization, yeah. a, Demo- yeah. a World Blue certified company at the time. So there was actually a receptivity to, to, to the ideas that you were bringing forth. And I actually happened to be in a similar situation at the time when I was working for a website as I was, as the light bulbs were going off and I'm bringing these ideas back to the team and to my, you know, to my manager and my supervisor, they were like, yeah, do it. Let's do it. You want to do yeah. a improv workshop? Yeah. Let's do it for the staff. Yeah. Which is rare. Um, Massively. Yeah. And, and so what were, what were the, uh, uh, some of the key ideas that, that you really saw as, as being transferable into the corporate uh, workplace? Okay. Well, I think the, the, the most obvious one is, is the concept of yes and and applying that to meetings and brainstorm. So being a freedom-centered workplace, we had a lot of meetings. Uh, it's one of the pros and the cons of being freedom-centered or, or democratic, yeah. however you want to look at it. Um, and having lots of meetings means there's lots of voices, and having lots of voices means there's lots of opinions. Um, and to have a behavior framework that you can apply to brainstorms and meetings where you have to come up with ideas that allow things to surface instead of allowing these knee-jerk reactions that we all do subconsciously by going, oh, no, that won't work, oh, that won't work, you know, which very quickly kind of damages conf- confidence and limits people, even without even thinking. 
Um, that, that was the first immediate application we used to do. So we used to always put like yes and suspend judgment up on the wall whenever we'd come to the creative space and yeah. have those brainstorms. And just so many more ideas came out. So many more ideas came out. Um, so that's probably the most obvious one that we applied and used regularly, internally and with clients um, when it came with when it came to coming up with ideas and stuff. And then obviously you you see the impact that has on the morale of the team absolutely. of how people work with one another. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's um, it lifts people's energy. It puts a smile on their face. And you know, it's like neuroscience one hundred and one. What you give is what you get back. Yeah. So if you smile at someone, what happens? You smile, smile back. back at you. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So if you can put a structure in place that brings smiles to people's faces, they're going to get smiles back and the positive energy goes up. You know, it's yeah. a beautiful thing. You know, so. All right. So uh, let's lead into the Church of Fail. Yes. All right. And for those of you who don't know, the Church of Fail, uh, uh, I'm going to let you kind of share the story, but it, it's been featured uh, in Vir- you spoke of Virgin, Virgin um, Inc. on their podcast, Inc. Magazine, The Guardian. Yeah. Um, yeah, a few places. It's been an incredible story. And so, so the genesis of it is is sort of the, it's an improvisation in nature, sort of how it how it just kind of the inspiration yeah, for how it came about. Absolutely. I mean, I'll, I'll touch briefly on how how and where it was created. So when I was at Nixon McInnes, we spent um, we spent three days away in a tiny little cottage in deepest darkest Wales in the middle of nowhere, and this. Uh, Cottage had uh, like a huge kind of kitchen dining room, if you like, which had these kind of like pew-style old wooden seatings and this big kind of like um, like triangular roof that felt very much like a, a church yeah. or a theatre. You know, there's a lot of similarity between the two. And in in teams, we were tasked to come up with um, a response to the question: How can we make our clients and our um, team members' lives better? So. I came up with a concept um, with the team that I was working with called The Church of Fail, inspired by, you know, the, 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 the surroundings that we were in at the time. And it's a, a bringing together of three practices, so improvisation, stagecraft, and sound business logic. Um, and you essentially stand up at the front of this church or pulpit, if you like, and answer three questions. What did I fail at? How did I cope with it? And what would I do differently? Yeah. And then you receive a round of applause that you're not allowed to step down from until that ends. You know, that's what we did in our first improv class, or at least I did anyway. It was like, okay, accept praise. You know, it's okay. Um, and Which can celeb- be really tough. Really tough. <laughs> it's, 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 it's one thing I do with clients all the time, you know, particularly for things like public speaking coaching and stuff like that, or confidence building. It's like, right, stand there and accept a round of applause, you know, and just learn that it's okay to say thank you, you know. And, and what you're celebrating in that moment in the church of fail is, is you're not so much celebrating the failure, you're celebrating the learning that comes from it and the fact that you can create a space where it's okay to share the things that have perhaps not gone so well for you at work, you know. And I've seen all sorts of things come up from, you know, small little things like someone saying, you know, the photocopier broke, you know, or right the way through to seeing um, you know, leaders of, of quite large, relevant businesses break down saying they've not spent enough time with their family and they've neglected their family over the years of growing their business. And you know, no matter how big or small it may seem, it's all relative and it's all important to that individual. And to create a space where they can regularly share these kind of things in a fun and playful environment, but with a serious undertone, 
I believe doing these regularly then fosters those kind of conversations back out in the workplace. So we used to do one every month, once a month on the first Friday of the month at Nixon McInnes, sorry, second Friday of the month. And having those regularly makes it okay to have those conversations outside of that room as well and you start to coin phrases and, and hear things and so it was uh obviously i can imagine it was it was breeding vulnerability yes uh, authenticity yeah uh having uh, people being allowed to know that mistakes are okay but what's much more important is is what did you do when you made the mistake what did you learn from the mistake yeah absolutely and obviously in the in the world of leadership a lot of what we've been hearing and experiencing over the last few days here at the world blue summit is uh, authentic leaders who aren't afraid to be vulnerable, who aren't afraid to mistake, make mistakes, uh, and who are trying to create a culture where people feel free uh, to to be authentic. Yeah. And and how did you see that that what the impact that it had while you were at Nixon McGuinness? Oh, the impact that it had was really quite varied, to be honest. You know, depending on who was sharing. So it was never compulsory that people had to get up and share. Is it, it was whoever stands up are the right people. And it would be different people who would get up. And some months we'd have two or three people, other months we'd have like 15 people get up and share. So we'd never know how long the session would last yeah. for. Um, but I know we can attribute a winning pitch to a fail that was shared during a session. Mm. Um, I know that conversations took place far more regularly outside of these sessions about vulnerability, about failures, about getting things wrong. Um, and it made it okay to try out more radical business practices. It kind of contributed to that culture of taking risks and doing things yeah. differently. Um, and having this, this was always something that people were like, wow, you really do this? And it's like, yeah, and we always saw it as a bit of a, um, not a benchmark, but like a real fundamental in going, let's do something different and really use this opportunity to, to, to learn from these things, you know? Um, and having these running every month was like, it gave us permission to know because they're so radical it kind of made all, all I guess also made us think kind of like you know everything else we do is maybe even not quite so radical you know so it gave us permission to keep taking those risks outside of that room as well yeah yeah Does that makes sense absolutely yeah. and, and and you know I mean I have been such a huge proponent of the church of fail from the first time that I heard it years ago and I'm like this is brilliant how can I incorporate yeah. this and I know I've told you and I and I know I've shared with you know, with uh, with the audience before about um, how when I was at IMG Academy, uh, my last year there, I'm like, I'm going to try this out with the athletes. So I started doing it with all the different teams, all the different athletes, having them stand in front of the room. Um, and now the the soccer club that I'm working with here called Massive Soccer, it was the first thing that I implemented this year as their performance coach. I love that. With, with, with every team. And, and so I call it the, the massive ball of fail. I actually had... The massive ball of fail. I love it. <laughs> I had... Uh, and I, so I, I used... Uh, I have a autographed Pele ball, uh, an authentically autographed Pele ball uh, that my girlfriend from college gave me as a gift. Um, so I took something good from that relationship. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. She's yeah. actually wonderful. <laughs> but it wasn't my wife. But I, I, but I have this ball that should be like behind a glass case. Yeah. And so 
we would start every session off with a kid would come up and they would hold the ball yeah. and they'd have to say their name. Hi, my name's Travis and I failed. And then everyone would say, hi, Travis. And then they would have to go through the steps. What happened? Why did it happen? What did you learn from it? What are you going to do better next time? And then everyone would have to give them this rousing you know, applause at the end. And I, I, it, was, it was funny. The kids are kind of giving me funny looks. The coaches are kind of like, where is he going with mm. this? But the interesting thing is as the year has gone on, and you know, we're almost a year into it now, is that there's been sessions. Because I try to do it every session. I open every session with it. All right, who's got to fail for me? And there's a, se- a few sessions that I've, tr- that I've not done it to get to something else. And the kids are like, hey, hey, hey. It's infectious. Aren't, aren't we? Uh, come on. I want, I want to share a fail. I want to share a fail. And, and just the, and especially at a young age for these kids to understand that failing is okay as a tool for learning. Not failing for the sake of failing, yeah. but failing as a tool of being outside of our comfort zone, of taking risks yeah. and accepting our own fallibility. And that in order to become successful, I've got to fall on my face over and over and over again. But that's where the growth happens. Yeah, I, I love that. Absolutely. And um, as we all know, it's, it's entirely possible to learn and unlearn things at any age. However, it's far better to install them early on. Yes. Um, so you don't have to undo stuff later on. Um, I, I love it. I absolutely love what you're doing. And I'd, I'd, I'd love to come and see it. I'd oh, see absolutely. It you know, absolutely. see it in action. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a beautiful story. And um, yeah, you're doing good work there. Oh, well, let's, let's continue to talk about your good work now because you're doing uh, improvising change. Yep. You're a man on your own now. I'm a man on high my five, own. High there five on that. Yes, a couple of uh, uh, out-of-work uh, uh, <laughs> collaborators <laughs> now. Uh, but we, we, we both kind of know this road of working on yeah. your own. So what, what's, what's inspiring you right now to do the work that you're doing? What's inspiring me right now? It's a really good question. Um, my energy at the moment is being taken up by a lot more kind of like one-on-one work, actually. Um, I've become fascinated more so than I have for a while in the power of um, coaching mm-hmm. um, very, very, very much. I recently spent a couple of weeks in India um, with, with a fantastic coach from the UK by the name of uh, David Ferrez. And... Um, we spent two weeks just questioning ourselves and digging deep into what and who makes up our identity and thus our purpose and you know whatever other labels we might like to put on that and how accessing that is our tool for change in the world and how we should take ourselves out in the world. So the belief that who we are when we are at our best is um, how we should be in our natural state. Yeah. And that's what we can use to affect change out in the world. Um, I left this, and that's what we did for two weeks, basically, in India. And I left kind of like transformed, realising that some of the stuff that I was working in was kind of in the right ballpark. And then some of it wasn't quite in the right ballpark. And now I've got really clear on exactly what it meant for me. Um, And that my area is around unlocking people's eagerness, enthusiasm and excitement. Yeah. And that's when I'm at my best, is when I'm unlocking that in other people. Um, so off the back of that learning, I've just been consuming books 
and working with people um, to just try and share that same thing, to use this this thing. And that this, this, this ability to take what you are when you're at your best and bring that out in other people. And, you know, for you that may be yes and, for other that might be listening, whatever it may be, we are all different people. Like, that's what's fascinating me at the moment, the ability to unlock the best in other people and help them find who they are when they're at their best. Yeah. So that that then brings other, but you know, so it becomes yeah. like a, a cloud that grows of inc- an incredible cloud, you know, um, a web of just kind of these unlocking things. That's the stuff that's kind of fuzzing around in my head at the yeah. moment. It's like, right, how can I expand this in a way that has like big change? Um, yeah, and a lot of it's still percolated, and a lot of it's still getting clear. Right, right. Um, but that's the stuff that's that's really exciting me at the moment. It's kind of like identity, purpose unlocking of potential, all that kind of stuff is fascinating me. And I think you and I are, are similar on that front. I, I know, you know, getting into the world of improvisation and the light bulbs that were going off for me were, you know, similar to, I think, the light bulbs that go off for a lot of improvisers that provide corporate training and things like that. But but for me, it was a lot deeper. For me, it was, yeah. it was light bulbs that were going off on a personal front, uh, uh, not just in the corporate world, but but any world, let alone any relationship that you're in, and and having huge spiritual implications as well. It, it's you know growing up, um, having a very sort of deep spiritual background growing up that mm. I grew up in, and then being introduced to improvisation, I was like, wow, this actually helps my spirituality go even deeper. And so I think what I've been inspired by most in doing this kind of work is maybe not leading with that, going into companies and teams and leading with the spiritual component, yeah. but but we, but we being willing to kind of go under the surface a little bit deeper. Yeah. And you talk about purpose and you talk about, uh, you know, identity and meaning. And it's, it's been interesting as I've, as I've worked with more companies and I've worked with more teams, especially with individuals, I've really found that I don't want to get to the improvisation piece until we've addressed the purpose piece or the authenticity mm, piece because I yeah. almost feel like it's a waste of time you know it's, it's your wa- you're wasting your time or as, as I love to say playing with the fruit if you're not starting with the roots you know and I think that that purpose piece and the authenticity and the identity is I mean you can always ha- play more games and you can come yeah. up with more shticks but if you're not addressing those deeper issues uh, uh, abs- absolutely I, I think um, yeah I think it's absolutely fundamental to uncover those mm-hmm core issues before you start as you're saying before you start delivering the work as it were and there's oh, crack, there's a million and one ways that you, that you can do that depending on what what your toolkit is but absolutely if not you're just kind of applying band-aids you're not actually healing anything yeah um and we've all had band-aids put on and we've all done workshops that mean nothing that right. have no lasting change we kind of get a fizz of excitement that lasts for a few hours and then a couple of days later we forgot about it right and the key thing is like okay find out what the need really is what's what's the underlying thing here and how can you embed that change and improvisation may be one way of doing it coaching may be another way of doing it you know a more wider reaching behavior change program maybe whatever it may mm. be that fits but Absolutely. How can you scratch under the surface of, of, of what the games might highlight and and work on that and work yeah. on work on the individual? Like I, I really believe that this is like a slight segue here, but I really believe there's so many people um, 
there's a big opportunity missed, I think, in our space and a lot of other people's spaces um, for embedding the stuff that comes with with what we bring and what people in our, our field bring, particularly with kind of like workshop stuff. I think there's too many instances of fabulous work being done in workshops that just kind of become these flash in the pan one day things. Yeah. And there's not enough thought given to how change is sustained through actually embedding that, whether that means coming on site and coaching the people who are in that workshop for six weeks, one day a week to find right. out how they're embedding it right. or a program of, or whatever it may be. Um, and I think that touches on a similar issue. It's like, what's the core thing really here that needs to change as opposed to what are we going to kind of like cover up for a day doing some activities, yeah. you know? Yeah, it, it, it almost becomes kind of bread and circus. It's yeah. like, it's just throw them something inspiring and throw them something fun and then we'll go back to work, but nothing's going to change. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it, it's, it's, you know, and it's funny being in sort of the sports performance world and with the sports psychology and mental conditioning and all that, it's uh, uh, what, you know, what we focus on is you focus on the process. You don't focus on the results. Mm. But a lot of a lot of corporate trainings, it's all about, okay, hey, can you help my team? We need better results. Or we need better sales. Or we need them to be a better team. And so let's let's focus on the results. Let's play some games with the with a yeah. with results focus instead of going no. What is the process? What's the design? What's the what's the mindset or the culture that will actually produce the results? Mm. But not starting not starting with the results. It, absolutely, it, this reminds me of um, my days working in the digital world, and there's a it's still popular today. And any kind of like tech listeners out here will probably know this. There's an acronym applied to social media strategy called POST, and it stands for People, Objectives, Strategy, Technology. And the big problem that organizations had, or just what was happening, is people were going straight to the technology. Yeah. Straight to the technology and going, hey, I need an Instagram, or hey, I need this, or hey, I need that. Without actually thinking, well, who are the people they're trying to reach? What are you actually trying to do? And what are the objectives for this people? How are you going to go about this to get mm-hmm. what you want? And then decide the tool that you're going to use. And I think that can be applied here. Yeah. Like yeah. you say, so many organizations are like, I want this, I want that. And it's like, slow down, think about the people first, think about what it is you need these people to do and why, you know, mm-hmm. what, what the problems. Then craft, like you say, your strategy or, or your plan or your process or what mm-hmm. it is. And then once you got that, decide what workshops you're gonna use or what mechanics right. you're gonna use to kind of affect this change. So that resonates with me, totally. There's too much thinking like, Band-Aid, 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 just give us a workshop and it'll fix it. So right. <laughs> you don't fix people with workshops, you know. No, no. Um, yeah, workshops is just one tool for affecting some change. Yeah, and I know we've talked about this off offline before, but my mm. experience has been with, with many trainings is the once you're actually working with the team, they're good to go. Mm. They're ready to go. They eat. They eat uh, the mindset up. They eat the yes and up. It's it's often the leadership above them that's preventing them from showing up that way. Yeah. And then, which can actually even be more frustrating for them. You know, uh, I was doing a a corporate workshop uh, when I was at IMG Academy, and it it turned into the the person that hired them to be there uh, was not in the room. And with that person not in the room, they started feeling safe with us. And it mm. turned into this vicious, uh, venomous uh, conversation about how toxic the environment was because of wow. this one individual. And it put us in a pretty precarious situation. 
where we had to address, listen, you know, like we had to actually make it very personal. We had to be like, hey, we really can't address that. But what we what we can all address is um, how are you responding to the situation? Um, because we're all going to be in organizations or, or be in relationships where the other person is difficult. And so we had to take it directly to, okay, we in our capacity, we can't actually change that. But you can have... You know, you can have control over how you respond to that situation, yeah. uh, which is which is improvisation anyway, which is yes and which is I don't have to like what's going on, but I have to say yes to it. I have to accept it. Yeah. My and how I respond to it is up to me. It's, it's a really good point. I think um, in the work that we're doing, it's really easy for stuff to move into personal territory um, and for stuff. I'm kind of pointing to my gut, and my yeah. heart here to, to come yeah. up, um, especially if you're if these people are working in what they see as a toxic environment, because with improvisation, with coaching, with all these kind of tactics that we use, you're encouraging people to be authentic and be honest. And you're working with their feelings and their emotions. So there's a very delicate balance and a very careful role that needs to be played to ensure that people are heard and listened to, and the message is carried back to wherever it needs to go but that you still maintain that kind of uh, kind of professional business capacity, you know, because we have been hired into a business to work <laughs> yes, with them. Yes. Yet the stuff that comes up is often, I find, more akin to the kind of thing you might have in a therapy session yes. or counselling sometimes. Absolutely. You know? And there's, I know for me personally, sometimes I'm just like, oh, I really want to help you. Yeah. I really want to help you. And I really want to get stuck into this big meaty issue that's come up for you. That's not really related to what I'm here to do. Right. But I have to remember that actually I'm I'm here on a different yeah. remit, and I'm not here to kind of help them through their personal stuff. Right. Um, so if I can find a way to help them, but ensure we still meet the needs of mm-hmm. you, you know the contracts. There's a real balance when working with people on, on that kind of right. fine line that you walk. Because between. you really can't separate the two. No, you know I mean? not you, at all. Because again, you, you're working with people, and I yeah. think that's that's the that's the problem most of the time is that you're trying to attack you know a people issue with a uh, with a mechanistic you know with a mechanistic solution yeah. or. Um, which I'm sure we could we could talk about that for a while. But <laughs> yeah. I am I am super sensitive here now though, uh, because you are you're jumping on a plane here very soon to to head back home. Uh, yeah. But um, it has been an amazing couple of days here at it World has. Blue as always. One or two highlights for you. Highlights for me. Um, oh goodness me! It's, it's World Blue is an incredible organization and event, and it's. I mean, it builds itself as a summit or conference, whatever you might want to call it, but it's really a tribal meeting yeah. of people who have this fire in their heart for, for freedom in life and in work. So it's hard to pull out specific highlights because there's just so many good people and so many good things. Um, but I think, of course, working with you and seeing you again has been brilliant. Um, it's, it's been great. The Night of Honor was great. And to see... Do you know what's been great, actually? To see, like, a tiny little football club out of the UK, even though Mm. I'm not a a football or or soccer fan at all, to see a tiny little football club rise up as the first sports team um, to come and become World Blue accredited Lewis Football Club, who are entirely fan-owned, to make it onto the list this year. And uh, I know the guy 
the chairman, Kevin, and he has been so excited about the prospect of being on the list. Like, I met him before I came out, and he just kind of threw a bag at me with, like, kit and scarves and posts. It's like, take this out there and get a photo. And, and they're so proud. So to see that happen was was lovely. Um, and Lewis is my home council, even though I'm not a fan yeah. you know, of, of football per se. Um, that, that's that been a bit of a highlight for me to see see a little team from up and, the road to me. And I have to tell you that, uh, I, so I sent I sent a picture of, of uh, a Perry and I holding up the kit yesterday. Oh, fantastic. And I fantastic. sent it to uh, the gentleman who I work for, the, the, the soccer club, the massive soccer club I work yeah. for. It's the uh, English coach. And, uh, and I sent him the picture and he sent me a message back my daughter uh, just got a new coach. My daughter's 14 on her team. They just brought in a new coach a few months ago. Yeah. And he, she played for Lewis. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh, Kevin's going to love that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, fantastic. Um, so small world, but uh, yeah, and I was so excited as well because actually I am a huge football you are, fan. absolutely, yeah. Um, and uh, for the fact that a, a football club was... Uh, 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 first club recognized as a World Blue certified company. Uh, I think it's just fantastic. It's great, yeah. definitely. And I think just finally another highlight is, is it's not often that you get to connect to people who have a direct line with history. And uh, Alan Gandhi on the stage, you know, yesterday morning, um, talking about how fear is a form of violence. Yes. And, um, you know, that, that guy's got a direct connection <laughs> to serious <laughs> history there. And it was just humbling to... To, to meet him and to even share a moment on the on the same stage as him um, that was a, a, re- a real crew a real special a special thing as well you know? yeah yeah well and, and again for me I think yeah definitely highlight working with you and I think it's you know it's funny because I love collaboration but mm. often find myself working solitary on projects right and, yeah. and so being able to do this with you again and to do multiple sessions yeah. and, and I just love that you and I would be you know, writing some chicken scratch <laughs> yeah, uh, two minutes, minutes before, before going on stage. Yeah. Well, we've been working on this for months, <laughs> yeah. but then, which I just love it. It's, it's the improv yes and spirit. It's the, we're being present in the moment and we're like, what what is needed right now? Absolutely. And, and, and listening to everything that has gone before us. And and again, just the, the lineup of speakers from start to finish built off one another. Um, I mean, uh, Carl Honor talking about the slowness movement, yeah. uh, Justin Dilling talking about um, labor slavery, what, 30 million people are in slavery in the world right now? More than any other point in time, More, which but it is, doesn't have the, the no. cover that it used to. Right. Uh, to, you know, again, Aaron Gandhi, uh, to Sam Sheltain talking education, to, I mean... There's, there's not a speaker that you just couldn't stop and go, that was worth the price of admission. The caliber was brilliant this year. And not that it ever isn't, but particularly fan. I mean, when you have two and a half days, sometimes at these events you have low po- I didn't see any low points, and everybody I've spoken to said exactly the same. So um, loved it. Yeah. Brilliant. And again, I have, to, I have to close with the fact that, uh, that Matt and I had this idea. We were trying to come up with a big way to close, <laughs> to close out the whole event because we had the last session... Uh, and we were, we were we racked our brains on this for yeah, probably about a, a couple while, of months yeah. because nothing just kind of felt big enough or right enough, and uh, well, simple enough. Yeah, simple know, enough, um, right? To capture the spirit yeah. of, of the whole event, and in collaboration, we we came up with this idea to get uh, all of the attendees up on stage, and it's a beautiful venue, it's a beautiful stage. Gorgeous. And once we got them up there, we uh, we told them that um, they had to silently 
create an image that represented being fearless, yeah. since that's what the event was all about. And then you and I stood in the audience, we stood back, and uh, they had to do it in silence, but they had to be connected with one another. And it was amazing to see what they created in yeah. about two minutes' time. Yeah, they created um, essentially a huge, big heart that even had the kind of little uh, kind of hash cross kind of yeah. thing in the middle of it. And they had their hands raised. They took up the entire stage holding hands with their hands raised in the shape of a heart. And uh, we took a moment to, to walk around and just ask people, where are you? And the kind of stuff that was coming up, which was uh, in the middle of a beating heart, a part of my tribe, uh, feeling like I'm part of a movement, feeling connected, all these wonderful things. Every single person I asked came up with something different and something beautiful. Um, and it was a really simple, simple, beautiful thing, a brief for them. And they nailed it. Yeah. You know, it was yeah. brilliant. And what I loved about it as well is, is is that I, I like to use the metaphor that the, the people who come to these events or clients, um, kind of their teammates are their troop, if you like, and then their office space or the conference is where they're rehearsing and the world where everybody is, that's kind of their stage. And I kind of saw this as, you know, we'd been working with these yeah. people at the conference over the course of a couple of days and they, they'd connected, they'd trained mm. together, they'd kind of learnt, found their tribe, their troop, if you like, and then at the end of the conference, this was like, okay, it's your time to take the stage. You're ready, kind of yeah. thing. You know, yeah. fly. Do you know what I mean? Like, with all the good stuff that's been learned from all the speakers and the connections that have made, this is now their chance to, to, to take the stage and take it back out into the world, their workplace and stuff. And, yeah, it's it incredible. And there's, there's loads of great photos. So, yeah. so check them out. It's, it's a beautiful picture. Brilliant, brilliant. All right, and last thing uh, before we go here is uh, how can people be in touch with you and Improvising Change? Absolutely, cool. So I'm on everybody's favorite website, Twitter. Wait, was that? Wait, wait, wait. Was that? I thought you were going to. Was that an American? Were you going to your Southern American accent there? Oh, maybe inadvertently. I have been here a week now. You know, getting (laughs) slightly. Slightly contagious, I think. Um, So everybody's favorite website, (laughs) Twitter. (laughs) I'm at at improv change. And then my website is, of course, www.improvisingchange.co.uk. And my blog and all my other wonderful bits and bobs videos and stuff are up there. Um, Come and say hello. I'd love to say hello back, and I promise to. Fantastic. And, and and now that reminds me is the last thing we do have to do is uh, Matt and I both <laughs> are known within our improv groups as being horrible at accents. Everybody and, has a toolkit and I think this is all. No. no tool. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and so uh, we, we promised that we would do each other's worst accents. So Matt is going to give us uh, an American phrase in his accent and then I will uh, I will counter with a British accent. Matt. OK, so. um it's been fantastic working with you, Travis, and I really hope it doesn't take us another year to get together to do, uh, you know, the magic that we do on stage. Well, Matthew, it's just been smashing. I've had a smashing time, and I can't wait to uh, get to visit you in Buckingham Palace over there in jolly old England, and uh, we'll have a bloody good time. We most certainly will, my friend. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think we need to add anything more to that. Thanks so much for uh, tuning in, everyone, and have a wonderful, wonderful yes and day.